Hey, we're still Philippians. Last week, we didn't quite get through what all I wanted to get through, so we're just going to finish up tonight. It's uh, Philippians chapters, uh, uh, chapter 3, verses 9 through 13, I believe. No, 9 through 11. And I've got it up on the board tonight, and we touched on the first part of this, but I wanted to wrap this up tonight. And of course, as you know, this is a participatory service. Uh, please tell me what you're thinking. Tell me what the Holy Spirit's saying in you. Um, I certainly don't have all the answers or all the revelations, so let's hear from the body tonight. And he says, And to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. And I think I mentioned this last week. We tend to still live by the law that is black and white, right and wrong, versus living in the margins or the gray area of faith where you don't have all the answers and you don't get all the answers and you might not get to check all your boxes. You have to walk this thing by faith and not by sight. And that's, that's hard for a lot of us, is it A-minded a personalities, right brain functioners, linear thinkers, the engineers of the world. They want to know that two plus two will always, always equal four. Uh, and I think sometimes in the kingdom, two plus two doesn't always equal four. It's this mystery, and we're, we're, we're enveloped in it. Now listen, there are some things that God says definitively about his kingdom, and about his word, about his character, and about his nature. Like, what's one thing you know that God is? Love, right. That is not going to change. That's not going to fluctuate. It's not like English, where it might apply in this sense, but not in this sense, right? I before E, except after C, and sometimes Y, and I don't know, is that a vowel? I don't know. They change the rules all the time. Is, that, is Pluto still a planet? I don't know. Well, who cares? They change that. You know what I mean? The character of God is love. We know that. It's definitive. What's another characteristic of God that does not change? Faithful. He's patient. He's kind. He's slow to anger. He's merciful. See, these are things that you don't have to question. You can live and stand. And I just want to sort of validify this in our lives tonight. You can stand on the fact that God is good. Now, some of us grew up in homes that, you know, the representation of God was our natural father. And, uh, and I know that some of us have tough times living in those circumstances where dad was hard and, you know, just maybe he was absentee, maybe he was faithful, but he just wasn't there, connected emotionally, whatever the case is, we've all got our story, right? We sometimes relate to our heavenly father the way we saw our natural father. And, and sometimes it's, it's hard for us. The actual journey of the Christian life can be, and most of the time is, walking through the healing process of getting over our own physical, natural debilitation so that we can come into an encounter with the real Father. I think that's really the Christian walk. The Christian walk is purging all of our old experiences so that our lenses can correctly see Father God. Catherine Dave did such a great job this summer of falling in love with the Father. Falling in love with the Father and falling in love with a lover. And those are the things that don't change. Those are the things that Paul's standing on, saying, look, I know that the law says this. The law will, re will reveal and is intended to reveal my weaknesses. But God's goodness covers them. 
God's love covers them. God's love, it says, covers a multitude of sins. Isn't that good? Such, such good news tonight. How many of you guys are the linear thinker types? You're A to B to C to D. Daniel, obviously you're in engineering. You understand it. Teresa, I know. Stephanie's not raising her hand, but she's certainly one. Uh, Tim, you're a linear thinker, right? Dave, Kath, no way. You guys are not linear thinkers. <laughs> you guys are like spaghetti, man. It's like, woo, the wind takes us. It's hard for, for, and I'm not a linear thinker either. I, I tend to jump from A to Z to Z to W, and sometimes I practice saying the alphabet backwards for whatever reason. I don't know. I'm weird. I just think weirdly. So anyway, some of us think that way. Some of us don't. And I know, Dan, you're probably thinking God's character. You probably have a good handle on that, I would think, right? Uh, what are some of the other, what are some of the marginal things that, that, that can come up in the way you think that don't quite line up with the, the way God's wired your mind? Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. Right. 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 That's good, man. That's, that's well said, because I think we need to go back to the beginning when Jesus said, eat freely from every tree in the garden. Right? That's a bunch of do's. That's a bunch of cans. That's a bunch of please and joy. But just, got, just stay away from that one thing. I want to be your source of knowledge, so come to me for that. That's incredible. That's, that's so. Anybody else? Think, what about the other side? What about us spaghetti thinkers? Just what, what are some of the things you struggle with as a linear thinker? And, and, and I probably, I'm just trying to disseminate what's easier to live by. Is it easier for someone to live by faith who's more of an artistic thinker, left brain uh, thinker than it is for someone to live by faith who's on the right side? Well, you can't see the next step. You can't see the result. You know what I'm saying? Okay. <clears throat> right. In straight line, yeah. Right. 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 That's good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I understand sometimes looking backwards is having faith make sense. It's not always looking forward. It's sometimes, looking, oh, okay, I, I, that makes sense now. I use this a lot in prayers uh, at work and and I think it's the, the verse that says, the manifold wisdom of God. And what I always think of that as a Chinese fan, there are many folds 
And a Chinese fan doesn't make a whole lot of sense, nor does it do a, lo a lot of good if it's not opened up all the way, right? Because they're, they're pieces of art. When the Chinese fan is opened up all the way, you see the beautiful, meticulous painting on that entire fan, and usually they're 360 degrees, and then they can hold them in the middle and they fan themselves. Number one, it doesn't really work unless it's really all the, all the way open. And number two, you don't get to experience the beauty of the picture until it's completed. A lot of times that's the situation, right? Our situations are opened up about this much, and we're like, God, this isn't making sense at all. That, that eyeball doesn't look like it goes there, and that foot doesn't look like it goes there, and that tree and that blossom doesn't look like it goes there. And all of a sudden, the Lord begins to open it up for you, and you're like, ah, oh, that's good. That makes sense. Now I see. And that's the faith part. It's trusting that that picture that God is unfolding in your life is going to make beautiful sense. You ever been that country song, Sometimes I Thank God for Unanswered Prayers? Uh, no, country, you're a country fan? Okay, yeah, not a country fan, but I understand. Nobody wants to admit to being a country fan, but we <laughs> shake their head. Uh, uh, but that's true, you know, sometimes we thank God for unanswered prayers. We think we know what we want so deeply. And I find myself, you know, beating my head up against doors that will not open, but it's what I think I want. And the Lord's just like, I'm saving you. Trust me, son. I'm saving you from a life of misery. I'm saving you from the biggest mistake you've made. I'm saving you. Trust me. Walk in this faith. That's really good. Kyle, I'm going to skip over Romans 10, 9 through 10, because we did that last week. Oh, he's like, I don't care. You've got the control. Okay, never mind. <laughs> uh, hey, let's read it anyway. This is really good. Per the Ten Commandments says this. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal, you shall not covet. And whatever other command there may be, Paul says, are all summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Again, the law for us linear thinkers is telling me what all the stuff I cannot do and, and what I should not do. Love is the freedom to do everything in Christ. Right? Everything that he has given. Eat freely from the tree. Have relationships with one another that are deep and meaningful. Uh, love one another. Uh, love does no harm because love is the absolute definitive character of God. It cannot change. He cannot change. He is love. We are love because he loved us first. He brought us to life through his love. And I almost feel cheap in saying the word love because it's so abused today. You know, I just, I love that pizza. I love my car. or I love that show. or I love that song. And it's sort of watered down the true meaning of this truly living for the benefit of another. Love living for the benefit of another. Where when he said, can I associate my life with Christ's death? What is he really saying? Can I show you my love for you by not living for my own benefit but by living for yours. Then this is marriage, isn't it? I mean, this is marriage one-on-one. This is relationship one-on-one. It's living for the benefit of another. It's saying, this is not my life. I lay this down for you. Man, Teresa and I have been married 25 years in June. Coming up, yeah, 25, come on. I'm still learning, lay down your life. I'm still learning, it's not about me. I'm still, she's still learning. We're, we're both very, she said this today, we're both very independent people so we're like, good. I was like, oh, I haven't really seen you in a week. How are you doing? Oh, okay, let's make sure we stay connected because we're so 
independent. We can just like do our own thing and we're good and we're happy. We're not mad at each other or anything. But there is this intentionality of living for her benefit. Paul's saying this to his church. He's saying basically, I'm laying down my life. I'm going to associate myself with the death of Christ so that I become invisible. He becomes visible. And all you see is not my words, not my teachings, not my doctrine, not my letters, not my insecurities, not my faults and weaknesses and shortnesses, but what you see is God's greatness through a broken vessel like me. The best way to practice this is truly through our relationships with one another. I'm convinced of this that uh, my, my daughter said, you know, is there ever a, a chance we really get to practice the gospel? Like turn the other cheek and, and give a robe away and, it, you know, the guy wants your robe, give me your tunic as well. I mean, is there ever a chance for us to really practice that? I said, of course, every day in relationship. Go low, stay humble, show love. My friends, this is what's going to change our culture. It won't be the president. It won't be his cabinet. It won't be the next vote. It won't be the next president. It won't be the next king. It won't be the next whatever. It'll be the church operating as they should in absolute love for one another, living for the benefit of one another. And I'm convinced of this, my friends. I'm convinced it starts at our kitchen tables. I really am. I'm, I, we, we hear it all day long, broken families. Uh, wounded hearts, women destroyed by uh, a, a man cheating on them, or a man destroyed by a woman leaving. I mean, it, it, it's all about me. It's what I want. It's my satisfaction. It's what I'm not getting. It's what I am getting. It's, it's all about me. And that's when, when it becomes I-focused, love gets eradicated. You know, they, someone said, I is in the middle of pride. It's the very center of pride is I. That's me. It's all about me. Where love is others. It's giving. It's exceptional sacrifice. It's becoming invisible and allowing people to see Jesus through your welcome mat, right? It's tough. I also said this last week. I think we touched on this. Victories and mountaintops are the small results of long valleys of suffering and silence. Perhaps the only true way to know Jesus is through suffering, right? It's, it's not generally when, when things are going well, we generally don't run to Jesus for help. John Wesley said he had to put himself in a state of need all the time to make sure that he relied completely on Jesus. And I've said this story before, but an orphan came to his door and delivered a painting to an apartment he was renting. And John Wesley was very well off in his day. He was writing books and music. He was very wealthy, and so he would go and rent these apartments, and he would stay and preach for years, maybe a couple of years on end, and uh, they would uh, come and adorn their apartments, with, make it feel like home, and this young lady came to his door, as you guys know, freezing from the cold, and he didn't have a coat, he didn't have a jacket, he didn't have any more money to give her, because he had looked around his room, and there was a warm fireplace burning, covered in beautiful art, tapestries, beautiful leather sofas, the, the, the wealth of the world was his comfort zone. And as he looked at this little girl shivering in the cold, he said, never again will I be without so that I can give. From that moment on, John Wesley, although he was very wealthy, was always in a perpetual state of need because he would always give all of his resources away. And he would always say, Father, if you don't provide today, I won't make it. Now, some of us would say, well, God is providing, right? It's the old, hey, I sent a helicopter and a rowboat and, a, you know, and you, you drowned it anyway. You know, I mean, that's that whole 
story where, and I, and I understand the balance, but sometimes walking through this valley of suffering, and this is going to sound insane, but it's actually allowing ourselves to embrace suffering. I, I, I softened it up. It's actually embracing suffering. It's saying, I, want, I need to suffer. For me to know Christ, I've got to go through suffering. It's the vehicle that God uses to draw me to his side. Now look, I'm, I'm, I love the tables that are presented before us in the valley of shadow of death, right? Before our enemies, the Bible promises there'll be a table spread before you. Eat in the, in the valley. You'll be taken care of in the valley. But I'm telling you, it's the, the loss, death, pain, unknowing, sorrow that draws us to Jesus' side. Maybe it's the purposeful, perpetual state of need that we need to put ourselves in that really brings back true revival in our hearts. Maybe it's, God, this is so hard to say because I, I know I'm going to be tested on it. It's the giving up the things that make us comfortable so we can perpetually be drawn into the side of Jesus, giving up the things that our systematic, comfortable life. Like a snow globe, right? A snow globe doesn't do anything until you shake it up. And sometimes I feel like, and, and again, that's my character. Teresa keeps me from jumping off too many cliffs, trust me. My character is more, shake it up, yeah! Let's change it, baby! You know, just, just, just that's the way I work. It's the way I live. I love that. Um, I used to think that was weird, but now I'm like, hey, that's pretty cool. I like that about me. I like taking risks and challenges and trying new things. And that's what shakes the snow. That's what sees, that shows the beauty of what's going on inside of you. I think if we get too mundane, if we get too comfortable, we become what we know as this cozy culture. We can never really affect change in anything. And, and don't get me wrong, Keystoneers, we love our culture, man. I mean, I love our community. I love the fact that we love each other unconditionally. We get ticked at each other and still love each other. You know, we disagree and we still love at a deep level. But I just want to challenge us. How are we inviting suffering into our life? I know that sounds absolutely insane and anti-gospel. But I wonder if the gospel's been so marketed and advertised and branded for our comfort that we've really missed Jesus. Do you ever wonder if, like, we just missed the mark completely, but we keep changing the target? Look at that. We hit it. No, the, it's way over there. That's okay. We just pretend we hit it. We just move the marker. You know, have you seen that new commercial where there's this cop, or I don't know what it is. It's a cop and a stormtrooper, and the cop's trying to teach a stormtrooper how to shoot because a stormtrooper can't hit Jack, right? And the cop takes his gun out and shoots the marker and all the chest and the Stormtrooper just keeps getting closer and closer and closer and closer, and he can't hit it. I feel like that's us sometimes. Like, we're just not missing. We're not, we're missing the mark. And, and, and to, to justify our missing, we say, oh, let's just move the target. There we go. We hit it. Paul knows. And look, guys, I, I'm not saying this is going to be easy. I'm not saying, hey, tomorrow I'm going to go invite suffering in my life. You know, but I do believe that there are some things, small things we can do that will invite a little bit of pain so that we can draw ourselves closer to Jesus. Number one is fasting. 
You know, we don't think, well, I don't think I've ever talked about fasting at Keystone in the four years we've been here, maybe in conversation. But fasting denies the very essence of life. It's food. And some will say, well, I'm fasting radio. Uh, uh, okay, look, let's get real. Fasting was always intended to deny your flesh of the very essential nutrients that it needs so that you experience pain. You will experience pain when you fast. And you fast and you, you, the character of God is developed in you and you say, okay, I'm inviting pain into my life. I'm saying I'm going to go without food for a day or two or ten or three, whatever. I'm going to willingly submit to this pain so that I can draw closer to Jesus Christ. It's not a message we like to hear, right? It's more like, hey, let's, let's have fun and, and uh, you know, envelop all the goodness of God, and that's good, and we should. I think sometimes we need to check ourselves and say, okay, let's invite a little bit of pain in my life. Let's invite a little bit of uncomfortableness in my life. The second thing I think we can do is get into a different nation. If you've ever been to a different nation, you, I promise you, it will change your life. What am I saying? I'm like going on a, on a mission trip. Go suck some dirt somewhere in Africa. Go, go play in the mud with an orphan. Go serve some Indian guy in a village that has never seen a white person. That, I'm telling you, going to another nation will change your perspective. It'll center you back on Jesus Christ. Because you can't go to another nation and not suffer. You will suffer. I've been to India three times. You will suffer in India. You will suffer after the 50th pupusa in Central America. You will suffer. And it's a great weight loss program. Trust me, if you drink the right water, it's amazing. Let me hear from you. How is this resonating in your heart? Is this pricking you? Is this making you angry? Is this something? Let me hear from you. What is this? Or what are some things you've done or can do to invite suffering into your life? Deeply, yes. Exactly. Exactly. You can't follow someone who's not walking with a limp. That's so true. That's so good. Somebody else. Or something you've gone through that's caused you to live with more love and more grace. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, and you're probably not, you, your, your mercy probably wasn't high on your gift mix, was it? Was Probably wasn't high on your gift mix prior to, I know, because I'm the same way, like, mercy, no, you don't deserve it, right? I deserve it, but you don't deserve it. <laughs> Yeah. To the mystic yes. Yes. I don't know that I yeah, that that's the interpretation that God had. Exactly. Exactly. Why? Why is it sure. Exactly. So good. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Right. So good. And then when you see it from someone, you're not only appreciative for having it, but then you now know how wow. to pass that on and help share that with others. So good. I, I didn't. I never saw it from that perspective, and that's. I was thinking of medical caregivers and people who, you know, when I I shattered my wrist uh, and it debilitated me for nine months, six months, whatever it was, um, and I was I was an, an operating engineer, so I had to have my hands to work. But the care and the love that I saw from others really jacked up my mercy level. Teresa and I used to brag, you know, you do the DISC personality test and all that stuff, and you do your gift mix and all that, and we would say, yeah, we're like a negative four on mercy, yeah, that's right, yeah. We would like take, like we brag in the fact that our mercy level was so low, and we did one, I don't know, five years ago or whatever, and, you know, mercy's like way up there. Oh, yes, there's grace, man, absolutely. Take your time. No hurry. You know, it just has changed because of stuff that we've walked through as a family and seen the love of others. It's amazing when you're suffering and you do see the love of others. It's probably what sustains us in that time of suffering. If God is love and he's inviting us to participate in his suffering, in liminal space, you said, the, the space between, the gray area. Um, Davy Jones' locker. You know, however you want to put it. That space where nothing's really happening. And then there's that love component. The Father shows through his people. He, I'm telling you, we are the hands and feet of Jesus. And when you're suffering and someone hugs you and you're going through a deep trial, deep pain, loneliness, a loss, and someone. And, and, and I know that we can't truly, we're not talking about understanding. We're simply talking about loving. Right? Because I think we want to, we want to empathize with somebody so badly. We want to, uh, something Teresa and I feel like we've learned over this 20 years of ministry is how to enter into someone else's pain and feel that. Where before it's like, man, suck it up, man, get over it. You know, you can get over it. Now we, we enter into that pain, and our hearts literally grieve, and we break, and we weep with those who are weeping. But it's not until we had someone enter our pain, and a friend of mine sit in our living room when I was in my dark place and wept with me, never said a word, just wept with me while I was being broken. And God was transforming my character and I was suffering, and I was alone. And there was a friend, the hands and feet of Jesus, never said a word. I remember it distinctively. It was Ron Wagner, sat in my living room across the floor from me and just 
wept. And I mean, he was weeping harder. I'm like, dude, are you okay? <laughs> right? I mean, uh, is there something I can play with you about? I mean, so, could, go ahead. Yeah. 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 You can't experience grace at the hands of, you know, sons or whatever. I had that, yeah. Same thing when, you know, my brain was diagnosed. I, you know, I got up off the MRI table and the radiology technician came to me and says, the doctor's going to call you in about 10 minutes and you need to be ready. And, you know, just following like a, you know, this woman who would talk to people, you know, through the tube. And Amy walks in going, Right, exactly. That was grace. It was grace. That was, that was the beauty of the moment. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I think even in the midst of suffering, when people don't understand you, is probably God too. Because if you're going to take it all, you got to take it all, right? If we're going to take this 360 degree expression of our faith, this orb, a 3D expression of Jesus then in our suffering, you've also got to understand that there is those who won't understand. There are those who won't enter in. There are those who won't know how. It's probably not their fault. They know how to do shallow, surface, topical relationship. But it's rare. That's why the Bible says, you know, a friend is hard to find, especially one that's closer than a brother. Right, Kath? Right. Where they're like torturing themselves. And it's good. Can kind of manifest in other relations as well. And so I think if us linear thinkers go to the other end of the spectrum, and that's where Western church is right now. Sure. And even just thinking about growing up and my teenage years and early 20s, it was like the fear of the potential for pain right. was so great. Yeah. Yeah. But the truth was, the fear was actually more painful and more damaging for me than the pain. So right? good. And so it is a balance, but but I think there, I think the Western Church in so many areas, like it grieves my heart that we're so afraid of what God could do through the pressure cooker. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when I when I look at that and I experience that, um, seeing so much of the gift, yeah, of pain, yeah, um, and then you know, and it, it reminds me of like uh, William Wallace and Braveheart. Like you have this man who who really through pain went through a massive amount of pain, chose to pick himself back up, and then experienced a lot of success. Yeah. And at the very end, you know, she gives him the vial of poison to drink to escape the pain. Right. And he's like, I won't do it. Right. You know? And there's right. a piece of that that I'm like, what, you know, obviously that's all fiction or whatever, but but I, I want to be the person that says, God, put me through whatever I need to put through to experience the fully alive that you have. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Let me face that fear. Yeah. So that I can embrace it. Yeah. What, 
the, yeah, it's the potential, the potential for pain that we often run from. And let me just tell you this, you're already equipped for it. You're, you're already equipped for it. You're already equipped for pain. You're already equipped for suffering. If Jesus Christ lives inside of you, you're already equipped with it. You're going to be associated with it. You will go through it. When I broke my wrist, we had a piece of bone sticking out of the side of my arm. They thought it was um, shrapnel from the construction site on which I fell. It was actually my bone sticking out the side of my wrist, and I was in so much pain. And I remember the first night just groaning in a chair. I couldn't move. I didn't have any you know, real painkiller, so to speak. And after I got my surgery and everything came back to, to semi-normal and everything was corrected in there, they gave me, I don't know, some sort of really like super-duper pain medicine, oxycodone. And they said, you know, take one or two of these a day as, as needed. Well, then my mind began to tell me that before the pain would actually come, I should probably go take a pill or two, right? Because I don't want to go through that again. So it's such a beautiful picture of our Christian life. We anesthetize ourselves even before pain is there. It's an old proverb that says, I can't go outside today. It looks like it might rain. There's a lion at the door. The clouds are coming. I can't plant my crops today because it might rain. If we live our lives on the threshold of what might be, we'll never experience a fully alive life. That which is truly dead, our ego, can only then be fully brought to life, the true self. When our ego truly dies, Richard Rohr calls it the false self. Many of us live our entire lives in a false shell. Being someone we're not, we put our masks on, it's not who you really are, it's not your real giftings, it's just, you're just covering up everything. We sit in churches all across America and we hide. We put our masks on, how you doing? Good, good, good. We shake our heads and shake hands and get a piece of candy and everything's fine. And we hide and we don't really get to enter into each other's lives unless we do it on purpose. All this falseness is revealed through suffering. When the falseness gets to die, the true self comes to life, and then you're filled with mercy. Then you're equipped to love beyond measure. Then all your boxes you used to check sort of fall apart. It's a house of cards. Go ahead. Okay. And I thought about it a lot, and honestly, you know, I'm going to take it to share my story to other people. Good. And there's this mirror filled in. Yeah. But at the same time, God's going to use that. Yeah. And so for me, like, I don't regret anything I went through. But this experience has made me feel a little bit better. Right. I still don't regret it. Wow. Sure, sure. I wonder, you know, and I think that's great. Let me just, there's a word we have to associate with suffering. You ready? Perspective. Okay, so when you're in the middle of it, it's hard, guys. And it's not easy, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to suck. And people will come and give you all kinds of advice like they did Job. But if you have the correct perspective, remember we said perspective is a lookout mountain of your life. It's the ability to see 
what's truly going on. Prudence, actually, is a word that means being able to see what is and what was. It's being able to see what is and what was. And so, ma'am, I love your perspective, your ability to look back and say, yeah, it wasn't right. Um, I don't want revenge. I don't want all that. It's made me who I am today, perspective. That is the word we used to use when people would say, how can a good God allow bad things? Perspective. Perhaps that suffering molded and made you into this beautiful butterfly that could not have happened unless you were under the pressure of the cocoon. Now, I'm not condone. listen, I'll never condone a bad relationship, right? And you got out of it, thank God. I'd never condone anything like that. That's not my point. But because that's sin, that's the tension still in the, in the culture we live in, we still live in that tension of sin and righteousness. You know, that, remember that rubber band on both fingers? That's that tension we live in. It's how God uses that for our good and his glory. That's the perspective we're looking for. So, you know, we hear it all the time of little kids who are abused and hungry and like, God, why would you allow this to happen? Because he's using that to propel something in me, perhaps, to go meet that need or to go to school to be a public speaker so others don't have to experience the pain that I did. And if they do, they know how to come out it on the other side victoriously. They know how to come out on the other side alive. I don't think we can truly ever come alive unless we ever truly die. Teresa. Love and do no harm. Yeah. Right, right. Of course. Right. Yeah. 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 Even if I don't know what it is, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Right. Yeah, that's a do no harm. Right. Right. Yeah, it's good. It's good. I think yeah, one of the ingredients is perspective that we always say is time. Time. Perspective. And that's and that's true, but that's also slightly individualistic. Sure, of course. There's right. Sure. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But then I've got a perspective of ten other guys. Sure. Not necessarily speeding me through it, but but jump starting that that trip. That's good. Versus just holding on to it for years. That's good. I think we as parents too, I think to Teresa's point, I used to mountain bike a lot more than I do now, but Luke and I would ride and I'd always want to ride behind him because I was so afraid he would wipe out. Guess what? He wiped out anyway, and I got to see it, and I and I and I didn't like it, and and I think sometimes as as parents use prudence, obviously, it's okay to let your kids wipe out, right? It's okay, let them wipe out. Um, God's got them. You're stewards of them. It'll be okay. Let them wipe out. Let them ask questions. Let them let them go through their journey. Let them discover who God is for them. Uh, one of the things I discovered about my son is that. When he was in pain, he knew exactly who to turn to, Jesus, every time. I thought for sure he punctured a lung one time. He ran into a tree, and uh, it was going way too fast. His whole chest was just blood red, and he wept and cried out for Jesus to heal him. By the time we got to the hospital, there was one tiny little mark. Everything else had gone. Everything else was done. Who knows what God did that day? That's my point, I guess. It's not... Not being afraid of pain, but when you experience pain, where do you turn? You know, you know. For me, it was uh, physical pain turning, or <laughs> the potential for physical pain turning to a drug that I became addicted to, and through the grace of God, that was broken. But a lot of us have our our pain tuners, don't we? You know, we we say we deserve this, and so we go out and I don't know whatever it is, binge eat or become lazy, or you know, whatever it is. We all have those tendencies to turn, or we turn the other way to control. If I can control the situation, then my pain won't reveal itself. That, more often than not, is probably where we turn the most. Let me try to control this. And that, my friends, is based out of fear. And I tell you, this lady right here can attest to wanting to control situations and realizing that ain't happening. There's someone above us that loves us who's trying to bring us to life. We've got it all backwards. We say the more comfortable you are, the more fully alive you'll be. And actually, I believe that it's through suffering that the true resurrection of your true self will come to life. And man, I tell you, it's beautiful. It's beautiful to see the transformation that that Teresa and I have made in our marriage from being very controlling to, and I was controlling too. I didn't even realize how controlling I was. Um, and I would manipulate people to control the situation I wanted to get done, whether it was in ministry or business or whatever it was. Uh, and, and control is just a root of fear, a fear of not having, a fear of lack, a fear of uh, being left alone, a fear that uh, you're not going to be loved. There's a fear that we deal with and how we, the result of that is through this control mechanism. And we want to control our situations. And once we learn to let go and say, okay, God, there's nothing I can do about this. This is out of my control. You're in control. My, uh, we couldn't have kids for five years. And she said, do you want to adopt? And I said, no. I know it's so sacrilegious. I'm sorry. It's just not, my heart wasn't there. I said, I believe God's going to give us our own child. 
for five years, we tried and tried and tried and tried and tried. Of course, that day that she found out Lucas was was growing in her was incredible. Something happened inside of both of us, though. I said, I remember sitting on the stairs, and I said, I married you, not our future children. And I love you, not the potential of what you can give me. And there was things was healing for us there at that moment. And I realized that if we never are to, of course, everybody wants to have kids, right? There's something innate in you. If we are never able to have kids, I can't control that. That's out of my scope of control. So I love the woman God gave me, picked for me, and I'll rest in that. Catherine. <sighs> sorry. I, I was like, woo! My hand was raised five minutes ago. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And they talk about um, that one part, they were kind of diagramming some chapters. And the, the speaker, the narrator of the, of the video, said in this one section um, that these, these, this part of Revelation was written to tell the church that they would suffer. And as they suffer and they demonstrate. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So good. Yeah. So good. Wow. So good. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's 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 a, it's a uh, almost an unintended consequence. It's like wow, you're suffering and you're smiling and you're what's the deal? Mm. Yes, yes, yes. 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 And um, that is in Revelation, they're talking about that is how the church will be known. Exactly. Yeah. I agree, Catherine. I think that, uh, and I said this in the message, if you haven't heard um, Grace and the Politics of Power, go back in the podcast and listen to that. that I've actually listened to that again. That, that, that's the Holy Spirit speaking. The church will and has to experience suffering for us to be purified and to show that love. And I think that's how. The next great revival will come. And I'm not talking about losing your direct TV for a day, okay? That's not suffering. I'm not talking about deep, you know, maybe religious liberties are taken away or your uh, 501c3 status is revoked or uh, whatever the case is, you know, something where you're going to have to make some tough, tough decisions. Or the government says you can't meet in community dinners anymore because there's too many cars in the parking lot or too many cars in the street. What do we do? Do we say, well, screw you, government. You're not, you're not leading us, and some of us get thrown in jail. You know what I'm saying? I know that's escalated, so we can never imagine that. But the, where the church is suffering the most is where the church is thriving the most. 
And that's why I encourage you, get out of the United States for a week or two and go to India, go to China, go to Vietnam, go to Europe and see the decimation of what a comfortable church looks like. See the results of centuries and centuries of living comfortable looks like. It's a museum. It's empty. Don't get me wrong. I believe that there's a revival coming. I I truly do. I think it's coming through the Muslims, man. I think there's too many Muslims for God to turn an eye. They are the lost sheep of Israel. They're the Ishmaels that God is going to go chase after and say, I've not forgotten you. That's weird to say. I know. Anyway, closing remarks. Anybody? It's good to see you guys tonight. Thanks for being here, man. This is good. It's rich. This is rich stuff. Now, look. I think that there's corporate things going to happen, right? There's corporate church suffering that must happen in the United States. I think that it's coming. I don't have a time frame. And I'm one of those like, doomed days speakers like 1999, God's coming back. Dang, I missed that one. 2005, you know, God's coming back. Crud, missed that one too. All right. You know, we're not going to, 2020, you know, vision, 2020, that must be it. Probably not going to be that one either. So let's just keep on laboring for Jesus and, and loving people. Um, but don't, don't anesthetize yourself from suffering even before it comes. Allow the pain to come and teach you. Sit in it. Sit in that tension. It's okay, but have perspective. Have the time and the relationships. I'm telling you guys, I believe this with all my heart. We're put here in this city for a city that is dying and they don't even know it. They're walking around in dead men's claws, and they don't even know it. And all of a sudden, they're going to look in the mirror and go, I'm in trouble. And there'll be a community of believers, community of people who love love each other intentionally, richly, and purposely. Who say, we love the way you smell when you're dead. We love the way you look when you're suffering. We love the way you talk when you're hurting. Come on in. That's who we are. That's who you belong.